0: Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzovino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. We know that we can trust our lives to its provisions as we study it this morning. I thank you for enlarging our hearts, that we might receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all the things that pertain to life and also godliness. That we may walk uprightly before you all the days of our life, that we may be doers of your word and not hearers only. Thank you, dear Father, for ears that are attentive, hearts that are receptive, and minds that are open and for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to proclaim the truth of Your Word and the power of the Spirit, that our lives would be changed their Father God, from glory to glory, and that our faith would stand not in men's wisdom, but in the power of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been talking about marriage and the family unit, and the reason for this is due to the fact that in the day in which we live, the marital relationship and the family unit are suffering a severe attack of the enemy. How many of you know that? Without a doubt, marriage and the family are under attack. Well, you say, why is that? Well, the enemy knows that marriage and the family are the building blocks from which all societies are built. He knows that. And he knows if he can destroy the marital relationship, he can destroy the family unit. If he can destroy the family unit, he can destroy a nation. And, of course, what kind of an effect will it have upon the body of Christ or the church of God if marriages are weakened and family units are weakened? Of course, they would be devastated and the work of God would be made ineffective. So, it's understandable then that the enemy would do his best to bring division and confusion and disharmony and disunity to the family unit and marital relationship. As a matter of fact, you've heard me say it many times before. I will continue saying it. A hundred thousand witches and warlocks are gathering together every Tuesday for the sole purpose of invoking the powers of darkness upon marital relationships and family units so that they would be destroyed. Now, if you really think that clearly through, you, you have to conclude with me that it seems like they're more zealous to get what they want done than even those that know God. The body of Christ is to get what they know should be done. In other words, they're putting forth the effort and the energy that is required to destroy the family unit. It's time that believers begin to wake up and rise up to the occasion and begin doing their part to counteract this because greater is He who is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. Greater is the God who lives in us, who resides in us, than he that is in the world. And it shouldn't be the way it is right now. I mean... We gave you the statistics last week and we discovered that it's absolutely devastating. It's alarming to to, to really see what's happening in the world today with regard to the marital relationship in the Christian family. I mean, they're falling apart left and right. There isn't a church in America that hasn't been affected by divorce. One out of every two marriages ends in divorce. And that's a sad scenario, but it's true. Well, with all this, of course, being true, and someone says, well, why are we so negative? Or why does it appear to be, you know, is it that negative? Well, we have to bring out the negative. How many of you know it's important to be positive and also understand what it means to be negative? I mean, there are those that uh, were positive people who got their minds together, and what did they do? They, They developed an airplane. Thank God for the negative ones that invented the parachute. They didn't have much faith in it, did they? Well, sometimes you have to bring out the negative so we can also understand. <laughs> See, the negative has a good side to it, is what I'm saying. Now, the highest service that any church can render to God and also to Caesar would be what then? To strengthen marriages and to strengthen family units. Because if we can strengthen the marital relationship and strengthen the family unit, then we can strengthen the body of Christ, the local church, the body of Christ, and also, I believe, the nation. See? See? We can render a tremendous service to God and also to Caesar if we would just do our part to strengthen this relationship of marriage and family unit. Then we can be a powerful force here upon this earth to accomplish, you know, the the purposes of God and the plans of God. Well, how do we do that? In Psalms, don't turn to it, but in Psalms 127 and verse 1, we are told, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. I mean, man has tried to do his best to figure out the relationship between a man and a wife, and I think he's fallen flat on his face. You know, and many have uh, done their best to try to hold a family unit together and protect it from all the devastating storms that we encounter in life, but once again, we always seem to fall short and are not as effective as we would like to be. Well, we're instructed there by that verse of Scripture that We've got to allow the Lord to build the house. See, marriage is a house that needs to be built by the Lord. And except the Lord build the house, the family unit, then they labor in vain to build it. Well, you might say, well, you know, we went, you know there are those that we know of and, and they went through their lives and everything seemingly uh, turned out to be okay and everything was fine. But we have to remember something. We're not just talking about innatural things. We're talking about spiritual things and eternal things. And that means that even though things may appear to be okay on the surface, what really counts is what takes place in the end of it all. So if people aren't living for God, then it's still no good, no matter how good their relationship is, no matter how good they think the family unit is. If they really don't know God, then ultimately they haven't fulfilled God's plan for their lives together. Ultimately, what we're saying is God has got to build the house because except the Lord build the house, the labor in vain that build it. Marriage is an institution ordained by God. God set the thing in motion. How many of you guys know out there, we didn't think it up, God did. We didn't think it up, God did. He's the one that put it all together. We had nothing to do with it. Ladies, likewise, you didn't think up marriage, God did. We're not the ones that thought up the family. Oh, let's have a family. We're not the one that thought it all up, God did. This all originated in the heart and mind of God. And therefore, if he is the one who drew up the blueprints, I mean, think about it. He's the one who should know how to order our steps. He should know all about it. And if we just follow his leading and guidance and plans and purposes and follow that instead of our own thinking, I really believe that we can have what God intended for us to have. See, Jesus said the storms of life are going to come to every single one of us, but the house that is built upon solid ground. And solid ground does not mean human philosophy. It doesn't mean this secular, you know, thinking. It means... God's ways, God's thoughts, God's purposes, God's plans. To be frank about it, beloved, I really believe that most people, when they enter into a relationship of marriage, are not even schooled in God's thoughts, ways, purposes, or plans when they get married. And very often they'll just say, at the altar, I do, but they don't know what they did. They didn't know what they said, I do, too. They just said, I do, I will, and, and that was the end of it all. Well, I really believe it's our responsibility as a church, as a body, as a church, as the, as the, within the body of Christ, to explain God's plans and purposes so that we can have a better understanding and then set our sights and goals so that we so fulfill His plans and purposes and have harmonious relationships of marriage and also family units that are serving God because that was God's intention from the very beginning. You'll find out from these scriptures that what God is saying is that marriage is an extension of His own image in man. Look at again in verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our Own image. Marriage then is an extension of God's image in man. You say, how do you say that? Well, He wants man made after His likeness. But in verse 27, it says He created man in His own image, likeness, and He created male and female. Created He them. See, man is both male and female. That's why sometimes you have to really have a lot of patience and endurance when it comes to you know those who have this kind of mentality, the women's live mentality. They want to have their own identity. Don't they realize that in Christ there's neither male nor female? Don't they realize in man there's male and female in man? Because God made man male and female. He didn't make them apart from one another. He made man both male and female. And if we would understand that, then they can find their identity and be successful in life. So marriage then becomes an extension of God's image in this sense. Now man by himself, woman by herself, reflects the image of God in a sense that they have spirit, soul, and body. Just like God, spirit, soul, and body. Three parts, tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. We understand that. But you see, apart from a loving relationship coming together in unity and harmonious love, they don't have the ultimate godlikeness of reproducing life. See, they can't reproduce life by themselves as individuals. God is a creator. He creates life, but man by himself cannot reproduce life. Woman, female by herself cannot produce life. So when they come together in that relationship of marriage, they ultimately reflect the very image of God because together... They can produce life. And what that is saying to us is this, that without each other, they are really incomplete. They have need of each other. And so without each other, they are incomplete. We could say that they're different, just like two pieces of a puzzle may be different, but yet they can come together and be complete. And that's exactly what God intended from the very beginning. Now, I understand, and you'll understand with me, that there is a call to singleness. Someone might say, well, then am I incomplete because I'm single or I'm not married? Well, let's look at it this way. God's rule is this, that men and women men and women should come together and become married and also have families, etc., etc. But Jesus himself said there are those that are called to being single. But not every individual has that gift or that calling upon his or her life to remain single. If God is in it, then remain single. If God is not in it, See, so many have remained single not because God ordained it, but because they so desired it for themselves or because they wanted it or willed it or their mandates put on, upon their lives that they should not marry for whatever reason, religious purposes and all that, but yet they find themselves falling into sexual sins of immorality and fornication and etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because they don't have the ability to remain single. So if God is in it, Yes. A person should remain single because God gave that person that gift. Jesus said it's not, it's not so that all men can remain single because all men do not have that gift. So we can say this, men and women both need each other to fulfill the plan, purpose, and the will of God. We also see by this particular scripture that God made two distinct sexes. Two distinct sexes, male and female. And someone said it this way, He made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. A point well taken and well understood, but not only in reference to homosexuality that God didn't ordain that, it wasn't that way from the very beginning, but also what about this? I think some, have, some men have the idea, now why didn't God, instead of bringing me a woman, see man was lonely without a woman, I mean he was complete in himself, but he was alone at that point. Remember, this is before the woman came along. Some have the idea, why didn't God bring me a chess player? Why didn't God bring me a fishing partner? You know, why didn't God, you know, bring somebody that we could sit down and uh, chat with or watch the ball game with or something like that? See, man had his own idea of what it would have taken to resolve loneliness because he didn't understand anything about a woman at that time. And he probably went from animal to animal trying, you know, to, to play ball with them or do whatever he possibly could, but he just, he just couldn't get the job done. He was still alone in his own class. And so finally, after he exhausted all those, I mean, you know, how can you fellowship with the hippopotamus? I mean, or rhinoceros, it just doesn't, it doesn't go very good. It doesn't go very good at all. They can't communicate. They, you know, etc. etc. And so uh, God then set things in motion. And what He did was reveal His plan. He figured, I'm going to provide a woman. Now, guys realize this. Women realize this. The woman was in the heart and mind of God. Man had no knowledge of this. Man had nothing to do with a woman at all if he was allowed just to think the way he wanted to think like i said he have probably thought up of some other things that would help him resolve loneliness because you see in himself he was at that time complete but he was alone so look at verse well let's go on to verse 18 and the lord god said it is not good just chapter 2 verse 18 And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Now, man was alone in his own class, and God said that that was not good. And so He said, I will make him unhelp me for him. Once again, it was God's idea to make the woman. It was not man's idea. So we see here then, since the woman was an idea of God, then in His sight the woman is good. And she has her rightful place, and purpose in life, one set forth and ordained by God, not set forth or ordained by man. One that was brought forth out of the heart and mind of God, not one that was brought forth out of the heart nor the mind of man. It was God's idea to make man both male and female. It was not man. So. We see here then both sexes are needed. Now, verse 19 says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them into Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, the fowl of the air, the beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in hell meet someone who was suitable for him. And that's all that really means, somebody who was suitable for him. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it that men and women are so different? I mean, some women have this idea, you know, why aren't more men like women? And men have this idea, why aren't more women like, like, you know, like men? They ask themselves this question, and I think if they ever get over that hump, you know, they can start finding some answers and solutions to some problems that they encounter in life. I have my own theory here based on some of these scriptures. I want you to notice in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now I want you to notice from the very beginning that the reason why there's so many differences between men and women and the reason why most men don't understand women is because God had to knock Adam in the head in the first place just to get him to sleep. And when he did, I mean, he caused a deep sleep to come upon him. He gave him one of his divine anesthetics, and he was out there for a while, and he woke up. He was madly in love. And it's been that way ever since. She took half his brain, part of his rib, and that was the end of it all. And he's just walking around wondering... I mean, he loves her. He's attracted to her, but he can't live with her can't live without her. You've heard the expression before. There's no why. All of a sudden, this man who was complete suddenly is now incomplete without the woman in his life. See, he was complete but alone. Now he is incomplete because God took something out of the man and out of that he created the woman. He did not create woman out of the dust of the earth. He created woman out of man. And, of course, ever since that day, you know, those who sat up with Adam, they said it was an inside job. I mean, you know, he was out cold, didn't know what to do. God went just God did it all. Just absolutely, you know, unbeknownst to him, just went ahead and did this, this thing, and he's been suffering the consequences ever since. You've got to use a lot of humor when you talk along these lines, otherwise it's it's, uh, stoning and everything else. (laughs) But no, all kidding aside, what, what I'm saying is that God did this thing. He took something out of man and out of it he built. The Hebrew actually says he builded. He builded the woman. See, the woman came out of the man. Now, understand this. In the day in which we live, we always hear people saying, young people that are, you know, single and all that, I want to find the perfect mate. And by definition, that person that is supposed to be, supposedly to be perfect is someone who meets the criteria to a T. Someone without flaw, someone who is absolutely perfect to be the, the, the mate that they want in life. It's important for us to understand that once man fell from that place of creation, that man is not perfect and will never be perfect. And to say I want the perfect mate is really improper. There's no such thing as someone who is perfect, who is flawless, who will meet all your needs, your requirements, etc., from A to Z. It's impossible. In order to do that, can you imagine all the different functions and the emotional makeup of a woman and also of a man? In order for God to do that, he'd have to do such a work, I mean, it'd be a greater work than the work of creation. He can't possibly do that. We have to understand that there are people that exist in the state in which we live as male and female, and there is the potential for those two individuals to come together as an act of their will and serve God and also follow God's leading and teaching and guidance with regard to the marital relationship. No one out there is perfect. No one out there is flawless. No one out there is blameless. If we're looking for somebody that doesn't have any, any problems with their, their character and, and their emotional makeup, forget it. It's just not going to exist. It's not out there. So you see, we have to understand that when we talk about a perfect mate, what we're talking about is that there may be a dozen out there, there may be a hundred out there that would choose to serve God and do His will that you can be attracted to and compatible with and that you'd want to make your home with and social unit under God with and they're out there in the world. Now that's true. But understand this, there's no perfect person that's out there. There, I mean, man, I'm sorry to say it, but there are no perfect husbands. And there's not a perfect husband in this place, myself included. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I mean, <laughs> it's myself included. It's just not a perfect husband. You know, and there are no perfect wives that are out there. Oh, so-and-so's got the perfect wife. No, there, no that's not true. No one out there is flawless. No one out there is is uh, so perfect in, in that sense of the word that... They're, they make no mistakes in life. See, some have the idea, if I could just have that person as a, as a mate, then everything would be perfect in my life. And that's not true. Because no matter who you see, beloved, we're all in a fallen state. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our faults. We all have our human frailties in life in experience. And therefore, not everyone has, as so many think, the perfect marriage. It means everyone at the sound of my voice must exert effort and energy and put forth the effort that is needed to have a harmonious relationship of marriage and a family unit that will serve God. Ever notice that one of the most difficult things to do is to get all the family together to worship God and study the Scriptures and all that? In most cases, I'm saying in most cases now. Why is that? Why is that? See, the enemy knows if, he could, if husband and wife would ever get together and harmonize their lives and blend their lives together, they'd be a powerful force for God upon this earth. He further knows that if these children will get a hold of what the parents have in that household in their lives, then they would become a dynamic force for God here upon this earth, and so he's got to throw a wrench in the whole thing and cause all kinds of distractions and everything else to say to it that these people don't spend that quality time together. Let's put first things first and priorities where they belong, beloved. I'm telling you that there is an attack right now, an assault against the the family, against the, the marital relationship because the enemy does not want people joining forces together to serve God. He'll point out their faults, failures, and shortcomings so as to bring anger, bitterness, resentment, and all these other things within that unit to prevent them from doing the thing God would have them to do. And as long as the people will yield to that, of course, he is winning the battles. But when the two realize that, look, we're, neither one of us are perfect, we're different. We're not perfect, we're different. We think differently, and maybe we're made up differently because one's a man. Did you ever notice that a man makes a better father than a woman does? And did you ever notice that a woman makes a better mother than a man does? Why? Why? Because they're different. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's why. See, that's how God intended it to be. These are things that we have got to you know, think through so we, our minds can be clear. We have to understand that we may be different, but there's a reason for our differences. See, God knows best. And if we'll understand that and just say, Look, no one has the perfect marriage. No one has the perfect partner in that sense of the word without flaws, without shortcomings. I mean, some have the idea that my wife and I have never had a, you know a wrong word, never spoke a wrong word to one another, that my wife and I, we always think alike, we always act alike, we never have had any fights in our lives, we never had any problems in our lives, we never had any difficulty with our lives or in our marriages, and our children are just absolute angels with halos about them, and they do everything exactly the way we tell them to do it. I mean, they are absolutely, positively, without blame, without flaw. I mean, they are perfect. We are the perfect, perfect Christian family. Some people have these ideas and, and, and think, you know, think that way. Well, if you think that way, then, then get this. We don't eat, we don't drink, we don't sleep, and we don't do anything else like that in life. We're perfect. And if you want me to conclude that, I'll say we're dead. (laughs) Now, if you want us dead, then we can be perfect the way people would want us to be perfect. But no, we're not dead. We're still living in this realm of life. And as long as we are, there's going to be disagreements because we're going to see things differently. But the thing is, what do you do with the disagreement? See, we differ because God made man and woman different from each other. We're different. You see, we understand that because the woman is the weaker of the vessels, made differently. She doesn't have the the physical frame of a man. The man is the stronger of the two. You know, God made him that way for a reason, for a purpose. And if we'll just begin to understand it and blend the lines together, then we'll begin to discover how we can harmonize with God and be a powerful force for God here upon this earth. If not, we'll be discouraged because of what we've been called to or what we have, and we won't really know how to respond to the storms of life that come against us. Beloved, let's face facts. Human beings are imperfect. If you're looking for the perfect church with a perfect pastor, you will never find it. Now, I know you've heard that, but I want to make it clear to all of us. You'll never find that because human beings are imperfect. We are moving on toward perfection in Christ, but in the natural physical makeup, we are imperfect beings. And therefore, everyone is capable of making errors and mistakes in life. And so if we just realize that and just begin to live our lives the way God would have us to live our lives, then love would cover the multitude of sins and we would be advancing in the kingdom of God and not regressing and going back. So, young people, I don't mean to discourage you out there. What I really intend to do is to to give you more insight and, and understanding so that you can know that when you're believing God for the mate, You're believing for someone that you you can serve Him with, who wants to serve Him as you want to serve Him, but you know in advance that this person is going to have flaws and shortcomings. Without a doubt. I mean, it's foolish for us to think otherwise. Therefore, we can be prepared when we enter into that relationship. Now, in Genesis chapter 2 and 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She was built or constructed for me... And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I want you to notice this. God created us so that part of us is missing if we don't have a healthy relationship with the opposite sex. Adam at that point knew that something was taken out of him and his life now was no longer complete without her. He says, "She is bone of my bone, she is flesh of my flesh. She is woman, for she was brought forth, taken out of, builded, constructed out of man. God made it that way, and that's why the man feels his life is incomplete without a woman, and the woman feels her life is incomplete without the man. And if anyone can honestly say that my life can be totally complete without the other, the opposite sex, then let's remember this." could it be that you were called to a life of singleness? Could it be that? And is that the gift of God? And if it is, then the reason... Now, let me note this. The reason for the life of singleness, then, is for what purpose? To serve God with all your heart. Not to go about and and to build your own castle. Not to go about and to achieve your own high aspirations. If your life is called to singleness, then that one singleness of purpose is to serve God from the heart to discover His will, to fulfill His will all the days of your life and not to do your own thing. So God designed it that way. He made it that way. And if we would understand that, I believe we could take a major step toward restoring marital relationships. If men and women could both understand that they need each other and that God designed it that way, and although they are different, if they would learn to understand their differences and then do what? Learn the value of them. Begin to appreciate the fact that I am different, we are different, but instead of closing the ear to one another, open the ear. Communicate and understand where he's coming from, where she's coming from, so that you can take all the good out of that and blend it together and have a powerful source for God to, to work with upon this earth. A powerful source of supply. The strength of God, the power of God working through that family relationship, that, unit, that unity of love. Now, just to, let me share just very quickly here to show the differences that we're talking about. And remember, men, you have a right to be different than a woman because God made you that way. Women, you have a right to be different from men man because God made you that way. Uh, but I noticed this. When it comes to differences, if a woman would, if a wife or would call her mother on the phone or her mother would call her and she would talk, I mean, they could maybe talk for about 20, 25 minutes on the phone. If after the conversation is over, the husband would say, well, you know, how's your mom doing? I mean, she'd have a printout in full detail. It would just begin to flow out of her. She would give all the detailed information about their conversation because a woman thinks like that. I mean, you ever see a woman, uh, see, see uh, someone like a mannequin with clothing on or, or a television program or, or something like that and, and they can just feed back everything uh, the, the tie was this color, the, the socks were that color, the skirt was this color, the, the bow in her hair was absolutely perfect. It was paisley matching. She gives absolute total, I mean, just complete detailed information about the conversation or, or about the clothing or, or whatever it was that they saw. I mean, that's just the way a woman is. You know, to them, all those things are important and they're very observant. They observe all those things. Uh, did you ever ask your husband, what did I wear to church this morning, honey? Please don't do that this afternoon. <laughs> Men are a little bit less observant. As a matter of fact, if, if uh, the, he calls his mother on the phone and they have about a two minute conversation or three minute conversation, there's not a whole lot of detail, but there's some detailed information about some things that they discuss. And she were to say to him, honey, you know, how's everything with your mom? He'd say, okay. And she just looks and that's the end of the conversation. That's just the way a guy is. And I don't want to say stereotype all men and say all men are that way because I'm sure that there are those that are more observant than us, but I'm talking about in general. Generally speaking, most men are just satisfied by saying everything's okay, she's fine. No information about anything else. Well, what about this? What about that? Then she'll maybe try to get answers out of him uh, because that's her nature to, to do that. Of course. But we're there to compliment each other. Don't forget that. We're there to complete each other. Don't forget that. See, as a matter of fact, guys, she might ask you a question about something that you need to remember, and then aren't you thankful that she remembered that piece of information and you won't offend your mother because she probably asked you to, to, to come over to eat or something like that, and you forgot all about it. She'll remember all that, and she'll keep that in her memory bank, and she'll help you later on down the road. What about this one? Do you ever hear the statement that opposites attract? I mean, we hear that a lot, you know, opposite attract. And you get two people coming together. I mean, they start dating each other. It seems like they're opposites, but they attract. You know, well, make note of this: After marriage, opposites attack. <laughs> don't forget that. Young know, people out there, if you're thinking about marriage, don't forget. After marriage, you may opposites track now, but after marriage, opposites attack, unless your lives are being governed by the word of God and led by the love of God. Because, you see, when they're in the dating process, they're responsive to one another. I mean, you talk about responsive. I mean, this guy's like Adam. Woke up woman. I mean, he's absolutely in love. I mean, he's still dazed because of the anesthetic. God knocked him on the head. I mean, his head is spinning. He sees this beautiful woman. I mean, she's he, absolutely built and constructed made just for him. You could only imagine, you know, how he felt. He, he's completing his life. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This guy is on cloud nine. He's having, you know, just a high time and celebrating this beautiful creation that came forth from his theme. Okay? Well, that's why when they date, you know, they fall in love. They say love is blind and we understand that to a certain degree. Love is blind. Overlooks a lot of things. And so they're in the dating process, and while they're dating, he's bringing her flowers and, you know, and candies and all these different things, and she's, of course, making his favorite meals and, and all that, and, you know, uh, they don't realize they're opposites, and they're attracting at this particular time, because, you see, she kind of views him as a laid-back, relaxed, easy, fun-going guy, just a guy that just loves life, appreciates life, no pressures, no cares, no worries, you know, nothing like that at all. And he goes over to her house sometimes, you know, through her apartment, maybe she has an apartment, and maybe she's a school schooler whatever when they met and of course she takes care of the house well i mean it's absolutely beautiful i mean the table is set perfectly everything is in proper place and the napkins and the and the glasses and the dishes and, and all that and you know the, the house is spotless and you know, he can have a white glove on he wouldn't do that because he's not concerned about that but uh there's no dust in the place so It's absolutely fit for a king Keith can go in there and he's he pleased i mean man this is uh, like this is like mom you know I, I can get used to this this is just like mom does at the house you see now, they're dating and then they're falling in love with each other and they go through the, you know, that courtship and all that and finally they, like I said, they finally get themselves married. And, uh, little did she realize that the reason why this guy was kind of easygoing and kickback and, and all that and just living a kind of a fun going relaxed kind of a life because his mother did everything for him when he lived at home. And if she would have seen his apartment when he was off at school, where he lived in a... I mean, if she would have seen that, I mean, he walked in a house and threw his coat over here, threw his socks over there, and his shoes over there, and, and, and everything else just in scattered different directions. And then, you know, he, he figured, well, Mom you know took care of all this at home, and, and he wasn't about to start you know, learning about doing this. Now, I'm not saying all men are like that, but most men, you know, they just walk in, and just, they're just kind of relaxed, easy going. I've done my work for the day, and just throw everything around the house and, uh, and all that. Well, all of a sudden, she, he begins to find out Yes, she's meticulous, she's nice, she's clean, she's neat, and she's all these different things, but she also lived with herself. And then when this guy came home, she started to find out that his being so opposite from her (laughs) offended her. You married a wife, not a maid. This starts going through her mind, see? And she's going about now having to start picking up all these different things. Finally, she, she realizes, what in the world am I doing? What am I doing this for? I'm not his maid. See? And so all of a sudden, instead of opposites attracting, they begin to do what? Attacking. They begin t- attacking each other and finding fault with each other. And all of a sudden, instead of responding to one another's love, see, love deeds and love acts, love that was blind now begins to see. <laughs> so this is what they are really like now we've set the stage for a wonderful warfare, haven't we? But, you know, it works both ways. It's true, and that's just the way life is. I mean, everybody says hindsight is better than foresight. If we could look back and and really see, you know, and know all that we know before we get married, then, of course, we could make provisions to make some necessary changes before we ever enter into that relationship. But the idea is that, Let's realize that men and women are different. And that's the point I want to make this morning because there's too much to cover. We've got to understand that men and women are different in their makeup. God made it that way. When he brought forth the woman, she had her own set of emotions. Yes, I kidly say that he, she took some of his brain, but in other words, her brain functions differently. There's a different brain function in, in the woman's mind than in the man's mind. And we have the same world, but we have two different views. And that's because both are needed. They're not meant to lock horns and fight and have conflict with each other, but it's meant to complement and to complete each other so there can be a beautiful relationship, a harmonious relationship in love, and both can live fulfilled, satisfied lives in the sight of God. Remember something. God was not going to do His work here upon this earth apart from a family unit. I mean, remember this. God designed it. He made them male and female and told them to multiply and replenish the earth. Didn't He say that to them? Have dominion, exercise authority. He said, but be fruitful and multiply and replenish this earth. Rear up a godly seed. Make note of this. Not too many seeds turn out to be productive when mother and father has, have had their lives torn apart through divorce. Well, there's all kinds of emotional upheaval and all that I mean, the odds are against, the percentages are against that seed, becoming fulfilled in life and having the life that God wants that person to have. See, many times we give these statistics when it comes to divorce in the the family unit, and sometimes I think the children are left out. You'll find out and discover that almost 80% of the children who come from broken homes will experience a divorce in their own relationship of marriage. So what I'm saying is, beloved, it not only hurts the two at the time, it destroys also something within the heart of the child, the children. Something is taken out of them. And when that happens, their lives are devastated. And so we have to understand that God wants us to be responsible people, knowing that there are differences that exist between the man and the woman, but also God has given us and supplied us with His Word that will enable us through prayer, through study of the Word, and through diligence in seeking God and and understanding His principles with regard to the marital relationship and family unit. If we'll do all that He intends for us to do in resisting the devil and holding back the forces of darkness and not yielding to our emotional feelings and desires, then we can have what God wants us to have and, and set the stage for a beautiful relationship where our children can be reared up in a godly sense because that's what God was looking for was a godly family. And the seed, you see, then is productive in the sight of God. It'll then further enhance what the kingdom of God upon this earth. That's what God is looking for. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Genesis chapter 12. Now, we're not saying that there's a problem with being different. But we are saying that there's a lack of understanding with bringing the two together to blend their lives. And and I want to state something again that I said last week because I think it's very important. God expects the man to take the charge, to play the right role. Remember that the man came first, and then the woman was brought forth out of the man. And when Adam prophesied, he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The, the charge was to the man. M- there was never a mother and father at that point when he prophesied that. So he was seeking for future generations. But he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Although the woman would have a different emotional makeup than a man, it was the man's responsibility to leave father and mother and, in other words, alter that relationship. Alter the relationship that you have between your parents, which is a beautiful relationship. It should be a loving relationship, a caring relationship, or a nurturing relationship, an admonishing relationship, a beautiful relationship. But it's now time that that relationship is altered so that you can step out from that protective authority and covering. You can take the things of God that have been instilled inside your life and heart. You can establish your own social unit under God, and you can begin to serve God. You cleave to your wife. Man is responsible. And I don't say this to put any more undue pressure upon men. I want us to have the truth. I want us to know the truth. Men, and that includes me, we are more responsible for that relationship marriage than the woman is. It is our responsibility to do our part in submitting ourselves to God and then loving our wives as Christ loved the church. That's our responsibility. To leave, to cleave, to glue ourselves together to our wives to become one. The blending of those two lives lie more on the responsibility of the man than on the woman. The man is responsible to blend those lives together. The man should be working toward that end, toward that goal. He should be the one as a. Remember, what did Peter say about that relationship? Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge or understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Right? Because your heirs together in the grace of God that your prayers be not hindered. The man was responsible to, to understand his wife. He's responsible to understand the relationship and understand what God would have him to do to blend those lives together. So that spiritually, emotionally, and physically, they can have a blending of their lives and then on this earth have what God would intend for them to have and then pass it on to their children. Now, God sees that as being important. It's a priority that we should have experience in life. And that's why I'm saying it's so important for men to understand their place. Yes, I understand that women also must respond to their love, the the love of the husband. To respect them, to to love them, in this sense, it's a lower type of love, in all honesty. You'll never find in the scriptures where a woman is told, a wife is told to agape her husband. She is told to love him with brotherly love, to respect him, and to honor him in that relationship to be submissive to him. But remember, he is following God. He is pleading to his wife. He is nourishing her. He is cherishing her as Christ does the church. He is providing what is necessary for her because she's the weaker vessel. As the weaker vessel. And so it's important that we understand this as men, that God designed this. The enemy, of course, caused the fall because men yielded to that. It brought disharmony to their lives. And we've been suffering the consequences ever since. But, beloved, it's man's responsibility to be submissive to God and obedient to his word to do his part to love their wives as Christ loved the church. You don't understand, brother, I'm too busy in all these other things. Well, you know what? Then we're too busy. And we're also out of joint. We have got to begin doing what God wants us to do, men. Men. Because the responsibility falls squarely on our shoulders. It's man's responsibility to love the wife. Now, it's not wrong for man to be different than a woman, I was saying. Okay? A man is, we said this, a little bit, he's more oriented to to be logical in his thinking. He's more challenge-oriented. He is aggressive. The man is conquer-oriented. I mean, those things are just inside of a man. Man has got, he faces everything in life as a challenge. Whatever it is, it's a challenge to him. If he's, like I said, going on a trip, it's a challenge to him to make his destination. I don't know what he's going against. He's going against time. When he gets there, he's just hurrying up to slow down. But he has to get there to hurry up to the trip as he got there so he can slow down and have vacation. But he challenges. it. not that true? He met at the challenge and he, and he did it. woman's a little bit different. She's more caring and, and, and nurture-oriented. She cares. She has feelings and, and she acts more on her feelings. It's, it's really proven that women are more yielded to their intuitions. They go by that intuition that they have, a feeling that they have about something. See, because of that sensitivity that they have to different things. But men are just more logical. It takes four hours to get there. We're going to leave. This time we're going to get there, and we're, going to, you know, and, and if you stop to eat for 15 minutes, dear God, I mean, you, you do realize I could have been 15 miles down the road. And if you stop to shop for 15 minutes, that's another that's another 15 minutes, 15 miles down the road. See, he's, he's logical. Well, woman's not concerned about logic at that time. She wants to shop. <laughs> you know, she bypasses all the billboards along the way and she says, outlet malls. <laughs> Cares about logic. Throw it out the window. I have a feeling I want to shop. An urge in me to shop. If I don't go through that rack of clothing by the, you know, in 15 minutes, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fit, you know. I have got to get there. I have got to shop. That's all there is to it. You see, you know, when men and women take their children to a fair or a festival or something like that, you know, I mean, man's conqueror oriented. He's going to conquer every food stand in the place. French fries, I mean, <laughs> <raising> that. <laughs> I mean, that's what they go there for, you know. Now, the woman, she wants to go look at the crafts and all the beautiful things that have been nicely put together and all that. But the guy says, I had French fries, I'm going to hamburger. Yeah, hot sausage with pepper sounds really good. I mean, homemade cavatelli. I wonder if it's like mom's, you know. I'm not certain, but I, I, might, I might give it a try. Then it's always his responsibility to find out whether or not the pizza's any good. Men and women are different is what I'm saying. And we have to understand that it's not wrong for the woman to want to shop and it's not wrong for the man to want to get there in 15 minutes, you know, sooner than he would have before. But ask yourself this question, men, when you get there, what was I rushing for? You know, what what was the, the purpose, you know, for me getting there so soon? So we can sit and relax sooner. But the wife is thinking, I would have been relaxing in the store. Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to adjourn there. And the famine was grievous in the land. It came to pass when he was near, he must come near into Egypt, that he said to Sarai's wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will... Save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Logic. Hmm. If I'm going to survive, this is what I've got to do to survive. He kicked God right out the window. I mean, God couldn't protect Abraham, could he? Logic went, you know, in motion. He began to think the wheels began to turn. And so he feels this is the right thing to do. Well, logic is not always going to benefit us, Guys. Being conquer-oriented and challenge-oriented is always going to benefit us, guys. You'll notice, if you'll just turn with me to Genesis chapter 20 and verse 9, Abraham is blessed that his wife was not given over to all these men and committed adultery. In Genesis chapter 20 and verse 9, Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us, and what have I offended thee? And that thou hast brought on me in my kingdom a great sin, thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawst thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me at every place, whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. So Abraham was thinking logically. This is the way he was going to prevail in the situation. But logical thinking doesn't always work. It's not always in our best interest, and Abraham should have known that. But he didn't walk with God long enough, so he just let his will turn and he did it the logical way. This is how. And it was kind of a half-truth and a half-lie. She really is my sister, but she's also my what? So he left that part out. And so we see then, just because we're men doesn't mean we always make the right choices and right decisions. But now on the other hand, turning me to Second Samuel chapter 6, and you'll find out that even though women are more prone to be led by their emotions and feelings and their inward intuitions, it doesn't mean that they're always going to be right. And... We can conclude by that that both men and women, even though they have different makeups and live life differently and see life differently and they have different views of life, even though they have a right to have those views and hold those views and be led by logic and led by emotion, it doesn't mean that man is right or the woman is right. Those lives have got to come together and be blended together by God and God... God's knowledge has got to be in both inward parts, the parts of the man and also the parts of the woman, so that we can still act on the Word of God above our logic, guys. And also, women, we can act on the Word of God above our emotional feelings. You'll notice here in Second Samuel chapter 6, and if you read it right on through, starting at verse 12, Reading right to the end of the chapter there, you'll find out that this is when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back home. In verse 13, it was so that when they that bare the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces to sacrifice oxen and fatlings, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was girded with the linen ephod. And so David and all of his house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet, and as the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael... Saul's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. To make it short, she was being led by emotional feelings. She had anger toward him, she had bitterness toward him, and she was so moved by her emotional feelings, her bitterness, her anger, and everything else, it's the resentment that she had toward David, that she did not stand by him, she did not support him, she was not on his side." He was rejoicing and joying over the fact that the Ark of the Covenant has come home. David was going to bless his family. I mean, the one that brought this Ark of the Covenant back home was going to be blessed. He and all of his household. And David was ecstatic with joy. And so he began to dance before the Ark of the Covenant, before all the people... The handmaidens were there, and everybody else was there. They were all there together, and David was having a high time. He was victorious. He conquered. He met the challenge. He brought it home, and now his whole family was about to be blessed, except for the fact that his wife, Michael, she despised him. She had angry feelings for him, bitterness and resentment. Now, some will say, and rightfully so, that she had every reason to be bitter toward David. And that's fine. But listen to all of us. Even though our emotional feelings may be justified, acting on them is not always in our best interest. She should have believed in forgiveness. She should have believed in the laws of God, the commands of God. She should have stood strong in resisting the powers of the devil to sin. She was tempted to do wrong, and she should have stood by her husband's side regardless. She was not sharing in His joy. She was not sharing in His victory. She was not sharing in what He had done. As a matter of fact, as we read right through there, you'll find out that she actually began to criticize Him, humiliate Him, and embarrass Him right there in front of all of the people. Notice... Verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David, and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of his handmaids, of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered themselves?" And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father, and before all of his house, to appoint me ruler over all the people of the Lord, over Israel. But therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than this, than thus, and will be base in my own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child under the day of her death. David, only one of the blessings of God, the rest upon his household. And so, he put his logic hard to work, at work. He accomplished the purpose that he set out to accomplish and was joyful and ecstatic. She found no pleasure in it. She allowed her emotions to control her life and her bitterness and, and resentment. Caused her to rise up and humiliate her husband before all the people. Now there are those that that believe that her actions set David up for a spiritual fall. Could it be true that because he did not find what he was looking for in her. The acceptance. The love. The forgiveness. That he turned to the arms of Bathsheba. See. She could have been the most honored and respected woman at that point among all the people because of being married to the king. And the fullness of the blessings could have rested upon them had she been willing to set aside her emotional feelings and not follow through with them. Justified maybe, but because she didn't, this curse fell upon her. It was not in her own best interest to allow her feelings as a woman to control her life. Because you see, when they did, she came out from beneath the blessings of God. And as I said, some have said that because David didn't have her respect, because he didn't have her acceptance, he simply looked for what he was looking for in the arms of another called Bathsheba. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, beloved, Jesus said in closing, except the Lord build a house, of course, in Psalms they labor in vain, but in Matthew 7 He said that people have got to dig deep and lay the foundation of their lives, not on their emotional feelings and not on their logic. Not because a man is strong and tough and and challenge-oriented and and conquer-oriented and he's got to do all these different things, but because his life has been changed and molded to fit the image of Christ. And of God. And the woman who is wise will dig deep into the Word of God. And although she's made up the way she is made up, her feelings and emotions can be detrimental to her if she is totally yielded to them apart from the knowledge of God. So what I'm saying is men aren't right. Women aren't right. But God is. And Jesus said, if you'll just dig deep... Into my word, discover what it says for your lives and your conduct in this relationship, then act on that apart from your emotion and logic. However, oriented we are, when the storms of life come, your house won't fall. It'll stand strong and firm, immovable, invincible, and you'll overcome. She should have done the word of God, she should have forgiven her husband. She should have rejoiced, enjoyed in his victory, stood by his side, respected him, honored him, submitted to him. And had she done that, he probably would have turned to the arms of another. Now, that's speculation. You understand that. That's speculation there. But I believe it has happened and it continues to happen every day. God is right, beloved. Let's build our lives upon solid ground. Let's all stand together before the Lord.